Amen. I didn't think I was going to get out of there. <laughs> that was a blessing. I, I just want to just say I've so enjoyed just co-laboring even with the Heartland students today. Um, um, I feel blessed to be able to minister with them while they're singing and preaching and leading songs and all that. So it's a, a true joy for me. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to preach as well. I'm, I'm excited about it. And so then I wrestled a lot even just with what to preach. And, uh, you know, I, any preacher would know you pick, you pick a passage, you choose a passage and you study it and then you realize, nope, that's not it. And then you move on and you, you do it again and you say, nope, that's not it. And so... I just finished it about five minutes ago, right before, <laughs> and so now, but I wrestled with it and, and tried different uh, chapters and different uh, passages and all that, but Lord led me here and didn't even really get the connection with Missions Conference until here just recently, but I feel like there's going to be a connection. It's going to take us a little work to get there, uh, but I, I think that you'll even see it maybe even when we read the text, the connection between uh, the preparing our hearts for missions and, and Israel, okay? And so, uh, why don't you all stand, if you would, and turn to the book of Haggai. Now, um, if you're like, I have no clue where that is, <laughs> turn to Matthew, and then go backwards three books, there's Haggai. <laughs> you're welcome. a little extra pause because it takes people a little bit longer to get there to find Haggai than say Proverbs. Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 1. And it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, Unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. You get the picture? Now there's more in verses 12 through 15 and I may touch on that at the end, but I'm really going to try and focus in on the first 11 verses and really just ask the Lord to help us. So let's do that here one more time this, this evening. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us and thank you for the word of God and thank you for Haggai the prophet and Lord I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to co-labor with the students here today has been such a joy and and such a blessing to be able to minister to them and then minister with them and Lord I thank you for the Southwest Baptist Church and just the opportunity I have to co-labor with every person in here and I thank you for um, just being a good God to us and loving us and caring for us. I sure do ask that you'd help uh, me as I preach, even now, Lord, you give me an unction and a help from on high, and I need your help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So I think it was uh, either 2008 or 2009. It was my freshman year in Bible college, and Brother Davison uh, said, turn to the book of Haggai. 
And I was like, I don't know where that is in, in the Bible. And he said, uh, if you don't know where Haggai is, turn to the book of Matthew and then go back three books. You'll find the book of Haggai. And, uh, and he started to preach to it. I mean, I don't ever remember even um, um, thinking about the book of Haggai. I don't even really remember reading through it. I'm confident that I did, but it, was, it wasn't on my mind. And, and, uh, and then I heard him preach through it. And I don't know if you all remember that, but I, 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 sat, I sat right back over here. And I sat right back over here because there was a blonde girl that sat right over there. <laughs> and I want to keep an eye on her, you know. Yeah, I wanted, to be, I wanted to be close enough where I could keep an eye on her, but farther away to where her brother wouldn't notice. <laughs> but he knew. Everybody knew, you know. And that's just a good way. If you want to find out uh, who a Heartland student likes, uh, just, just there's like a 30-foot radius around where they're sitting right now. There is a girl in that area that they like. <laughs> I know your tricks. <laughs> I did your tricks. And he, uh, Brother Sam, when he was preaching through it, I, I mean, he just, it just unfolded this truth. And, and I remember at that point in time, just having a love for this book and having a love for the Old Testament and, and preaching the Old Testament and attempting to preach through the Old, the Old Testament. And he, and he just gave me a, a love for this book and, and for narrative preaching and, and all that. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but there was a word that he used uh, at that time, and, and some of you might remember, but it, every time I hear this word, I think of this passage, and the word he used was agenda. And so when I knew the Lord wanted me to preach this passage, I said, I'm not going to use the word agenda, because that's Brother Sam's word, you know. <laughs> that's the word he uses, and certainly there's got to be another word that's like a synonym that's similar to it, so I can be my own man, and I can do my own thing. <laughs> I'd say, I got into the book, and go figure, Brother Sam got it right. <laughs> The word is agenda. And so I'm not copying it. I'm just saying the word's agenda. <laughs> and so I titled the message, um, God's All-Consuming Agenda. His All-Consuming Agenda. A mankind has an agenda. We all have an agenda. The American way has an agenda. Um, an, an agenda is simply just a list or a plan of things that need to be done. It's it's what you're going to spend your time on. So when I go into the office in the morning, I have an agenda. I go to my Outlook calendar, and on there, there's a meeting that says at 9.30, you're going to do this. And that's my agenda. That's where my time is going to go, and I'm going to accomplish tasks during that time frame. I'm going to spend my time doing that. That's, that's my agenda. And so we all have one. The American Way has one. Um, and we spend our time working, um, to, working hard to get specific things. Like comfort, right? We, all, we, love, we, we work for comfort. I love comfort. We all love comfort. It's the American way. It's the man's way. That's why we get couches, comfy couches, and beds. I just bought a mattress. Best decision I ever made in my life. A good mattress. Heated, heated seats in a car are a blessing. A warm house, food, comfort food is good. We spend our time wanting joy. We do. It's just part of who we are, the American way. And, and, and through joy, many people attempt to get houses and bigger houses and two houses and rental houses and cars and boats and iPhones and tech devices because they believe in some sort of way that's going to give them joy. We, we love fun. The American way is fun. Have fun. It's our, it's our agenda. It's what we spend our time doing is, is having fun. Birthday parties and weddings and graduations and vacations and other parties. And, and the world would go to places like bars and, and restaurants and ball games. It's the world's agenda. It's, it's just what they spend their time on and they work for it and they work, they work hard for it. Um, Christians have an agenda. And it's similar in, in some ways to that of the uh, American lifestyle, but obviously not the exact same. We love comfort and we love joy and we, we love satisfaction. We love being satisfied and, and, and we love fun. We like going on activities and um, we like get togethers and we like church services where there's no social distancing and masks. 
We love that. I'm not against it. I'm just saying we long for those days, right? We love those days. We, we want that. Um, we like the comfort of good water pressure in our church. <laughs> we love the comfort of a thriving economy. I like nice houses. We like nice houses. We like uh, cars and bigger cars and through and three and four cars. We like boats and we like good food. We spend our time on those sorts of things. Now, then COVID happened, right? And it consumed some things that we enjoy, that we even take for granted. I mean, you just look around and I'm going to list a few and you all would be able to come to the conclusion that there's more than this, but some have struggled financially. Others have lost a job. Others have struggled with their health. The comfort of the American way is not as strong as what it used to be. And you can see the, the, uh, a simple virus fractures the United States or it fractures even greater what was already there. And it's like, oh, man, we step back and we say, well, wait a minute, that comfort is not there like we thought it was. And flights shut down and churches were shut down and mass mandates and social distancing and no more restaurants, no more fun. Birthdays canceled, weddings canceled, graduations canceled, vacations canceled, parties canceled, restaurants canceled, basketball games canceled, everything's canceled. And not to mention an ice storm and an Arctic blast. <laughs> Car accidents, frozen pipes, broken pipes, um, water main breaks, power shut off, rolling blackouts, and more. And all these things that we uh, spend our time on, all these things that we love and we, these comfort and, and these things that we look for comfort and for joy and for satisfaction and for happiness, it's like they were all consumed in a moment. Now listen, I, I, don't want, I don't want to be dogmatic about it and I can't be dogmatic about it and I don't want to say anything that God wouldn't want me to say or, or, or that isn't true, but I, I want to say this. Maybe we ought to consider something. Maybe we ought to consider that those events can be directly contributed to God. I wonder if God's been consuming our agenda. I don't know about that, brother. Why would God consume our agenda? I think it's a great question. So maybe we ought to consider that. Now, like we've already talked about... Um, as we get into the book of Haggai, we don't just drop in here and kind of know what's going on, right? And I'm sure that some of you probably do and some probably don't, but there's, there's a, a bit of, of work that we need to do to catch us up to where Israel is at this time. Now, now, Israel has been a rebellious people and God has sent them prophet after prophet after prophet and they have rejected his word and rejected them and they've stoned them and they've killed the prophets and, and they've done it time after time after time after century after century and God has had enough and he said, okay, because you will not uh, um, listen to my word, the next thing that you're going to get is the rod of correction and he's going to use Assyria and he's going to use Babylon as his rod of, of correction. He's going to use that, that, that pagan people to correct his own. And so he says, I'm going to put you into captivity, but, uh, and you're going to be into captivity for 70 years. And, and Isaiah is giving them this prophet. And the wonderful thing about, about uh, Isaiah the prophet is God told him that, listen, you're going to go into captivity and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be good, but it's not going to be forever. And, that, and that you're going to be there for 70 years. And after you're there for 70 years, what's going to happen is God's going to raise up a man by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia. And he's, I'm going to put it on his heart. God is going to put it on Cyrus's heart to, br to bring the children of Israel back to Jerusalem so that they can once again build his temple. Now listen, there, there are certain people that say, well, how, how is it that Isaiah could know the name of Cyrus 70 years before it happened? So therefore, this portion of Isaiah must have been written after the, they came back to Jerusalem. Friend, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe that's true, but no, it's not true, actually. What is true is that there is a God who exists above time, who can see the swath of time all in one glance, and he knows who's born here in this year, and he knows who's going to be born in this year, because he created them, and he knows their name. You got that right. And he did. And there's Israel and they're there in captivity in Babylon for those 70 years. And wouldn't you know it, sure enough, 70 years after that captivity, 
He raises up a man by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia. And this man, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, it's like the God of heaven has put on my heart to let the Jewish people go back to, to, to Jerusalem to build God's house. And he gave them the freedom to return to their land. And he said, whoever wants to go back, you can go back. And so 50,000, 50, almost 50,000 or so people decided to go back to, to Israel. And he said, I'm going to give you money. Children of Israel, you give them money. You just give a free will offering. And you go back to Israel and you build the temple. We'll give you money. We'll give you the, ves the vessels of the house of God that Nebuchadnezzar took. And, and you take all of that back and you go back. And those 50,000 people went back with money and they went back with the vessels. And, and they went back to Jerusalem where they hadn't been for 70 years. What an exciting time. And the first thing that they did in that first year is they, they built an altar. And they started making sacrifices because there were 70 years of sin that needed to be, to be forgiven. And there, and, and there was, they instituted the feast days once again and they gave more free will offerings. The people were getting right with God and they were excited about what God was doing. And they gave, they gave them money and they gave them the sacrifices and the feast days and, and it was exciting. And in that second year of the time back in Jerusalem, they laid the foundation of the temple and singers were instituted and people started praising God and the feast days were still going and sacrifices were still going and it was a wonderful time, I would imagine, for those two years. But there was a small group of people there called the Samaritans. Now these uh, Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile and, and at, the, uh, at the, the 70 years, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of that captivity, there were some people, some Jews that were left in that area that were meant to keep the land and those people uh, uh, married Gentiles and they became known as the Samaritans. And you know and I know that the Jewish people despised the Samaritans as well as the Samaritans despised the Jewish people. And they had this kind of uh, uh, blended worship where there was Jehovah worship but it was pagan worship at the same time. And, and these Samaritans, they, they came up to the Jewish people and they say, wow, we see that you're building God's house. We want to build God's house with you. And, and Israel saw right through it and that they knew that they weren't worshiping the same God. And, and because they understand, like we understand that doctrine divides that they could not worship together. And so they said, no, you can't help us. <laughs> and they didn't like it. And so these uh, adversaries now of Israel, the Bible says they weakened their hands and they troubled their building and their hired counselors. And the Bible says to frustrate their purpose. God brought them back there and they, and they wanted them to, to, uh, to build the temple and they started to get frustrated by these people. And then after they laid that foundation, this man Cyrus had died and a new king, Artaxerxes, has, ta has taken over. And these adversaries sent a letter back to this new king, Artaxerxes, and they said, listen, Artaxerxes, you got to understand something about this nation of Israel. They're a rebellious people. And sure enough, they were a rebellious people, but not for the same reason that they were saying they were rebellious. They were saying, listen, Israel, they're, they're a, they're a high-powered nation at one point, and they ruled the world, and they had people giving them tribute. And, and listen, if, if you let them come back and build the temple, they're going to build a wall, and they're going to be a resistance to you, and they're not going to pay you tribute, and they're going to dishonor you. And listen, you don't want that happening. Go ahead, check the record books, King Artaxerxes. Xerxes and find out that Israel, once again, they were a rebellious people. And he, sure enough, he checked the records and found out that this nation of Israel was, a, was, a, was a, in their mind, a rebellious people. And so he said, the work of God stops. And so these, these, these adversaries of Israel got the decree from King Xerxes and they, they ran back to Jerusalem and they held it up and they said, look, the king says you must stop. Except for there was one thing. The king said they must build. And so they looked at the decree of this earthly king and they said, I guess we got to stop. Well, usually, how long did they stop for? A couple weeks, a month, maybe a year? 16 years they stopped. In 16 years they were idle. And they didn't need to stop because, wait a minute, Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, who, who, who wrote a decree that cannot be changed by the law of the Medes and Persians, said that they must build. So all they had to do was to send somebody back and say, listen, king, you already made a decree. Cyrus made a decree. You have to keep it. You have to honor your word. And they could have come back and they could have resumed the building. But they didn't want to. They didn't want to build. So for 16 years, they sat idle. And then another king came, King Darius. And he wanting to secure the good uh, will of the people, he lifted the decree and said, go and build the temple and, and serve. And, 
and, and do what God wants you to do. And so this excuse that they were using for so long is now lifted. But here's the issue. They're still not doing anything. Now, they had the freedom. They had the liberty. They could have gone and done whatever they wanted to do. They could have built God's house like he told them to all those years, those 16 years. And the excuse that they were using was now lifted and they still don't want to work. And that's why God sent Haggai the prophet. Hmm. I love this prophet. I'm telling you, I love this prophet. I mean, it, it, he's a contemporary there in the time of Zechari Zechariah, and he had more of a, a, a broad view of the nation of Israel, and he, and he had more of just a, a, a broad idea. And Haggai, had, he has got, he's got one purpose. He's, he, he's single focus, and his focus is this. Build God's house. That's it. Get back to work. Go. Get to work. God said build the house. He didn't say it now. He didn't say it yesterday. He said it 16 years ago. Build God's house. And he sent them in to do this. Stir up this stagnant people. And so Haggai comes. I just, man, I just feel like he's a bulldog of a prophet. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't really know. But I just feel like he came walking in. It's like he bypassed all the people. In the, and you can see in the first verse there that he goes right by everybody. And he goes straight to the political leader and the spiritual leader. Straight to him. And he confronts them. He confronts them real good. And he says, the people say, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. And can you hear their excuses? The, the, these people? Yeah, the politics is a little shaky right now. You know, we got one king that came in, Cyrus, and he said that we could build... And then we got this other king that says we can't build. And now we've got a new king that says we can build. There's just so much instability going on in this nation right now. And I just think that if we give it a couple more months, there's going to be a new king that says we should, that we shouldn't build. So probably what we ought to do is just wait it out and just see how this regime goes. You know, there's, there's enemies all around us. Didn't you know? I mean, 16 years ago, you saw it. Didn't you see it? You saw it. Samaritans came and they had their weapons and they were like, you know, we want to build. And they're saying, no, you can't build. And they were threatening us. And then they went to the king and things got really sketchy there. And I was kind of afraid for my life. Things are getting dangerous here. It's, it's dangerous in this place. And they're still looming around here. I know that was 16 years ago, but they still have the same mindset. And, and, and things can get a, a, a little dangerous. And, I mean, the world leaders don't want us to do it. And, 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 and the people here don't want us to do it. Maybe the next election. When we get somebody more favorable to our circumstances, we'll be able to build God's house. Besides, there's a lot of work to do around here. I mean, if we think about it, when we came here, there was, all these houses were rubble. It was just, it was just torn down and it was burnt and it was, it was all rubble. And I'm telling you, we're doing a pretty good job. 16 years later, all that rubble's cleared up. We've got a house there and a house there and a house there and a little subsection over here. I got another house right over there. I got two actually, but you didn't know that. And then I got to rent the property right over there. And listen, I, I've got a piece of land over here and I'm expanding my, my kingdom over here. We really clean this place up. City's looking real good. And these people were where they were supposed to be, but they were not doing what God told them to do. And really all that they were doing was they were making excuses as to why they couldn't follow God still. And he says, is it time for you to, to, to live in your sealed houses? And how does he say it? Is it time for you, O.E., to, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie away? So wait a minute. You're going to tell me. You're going to tell me that it's not time to build. But this whole time that you're telling me not to build God's house, you're over here and you're building your house? <laughs> I mean, they, they were building these elaborate Wayne Scott houses and, and, and they, were, they, were, they were decorating them and they were expensive and they were time consuming and they were elaborate works of art really just an excuse. And he says, wait a minute. You got a roof over your head and my house has nothing? You're living in a sealed house over here? Walls? Flooring? Elaborate stuff? You got a ceiling on your roof? That makes any sense? <laughs> And there's no ceiling on the roof over here. Right. Just a foundation. And really what he did by that one question, he exposed Israel's excuses for what they really were. 
excuses. They weren't legitimate. He took them all away. Like a fine surgeon. <laughs> Laid it wide open. Now, it was much easier for them to accept their excuses as to why they couldn't do God's work than it was to face the facts about themselves. And uh, what they did is they had this cloak of excuses that they put over them in order to hide their real issues. That's what it was. That's what an excuse is. It, it, it's just, it's, it's a cloak of excuses. I mean, listen, there's, there's plenty of people who give excuses. How, how about Adam? When, when he sins in the garden, God confronts him. He says, it's the woman that thou hast given me. He blamed the woman and he blamed God. Then he sewed fig leaves to cover himself up. Uh, nope. It's not the woman and it's not God. It's you. Aaron, this is the kookiest story I, I, in the Bible. It's got to be. It's just crazy how, how, how Moses is up, in, up on the mountain and, he, and he's there and he's getting the Ten Commandments and God reveals to, to Moses that there's some weird stuff going on and, and the people come to Aaron and they come and they say, up, build us a God, make us a God. And there Aaron is like, okay, we'll break off the gold out of your ears. And so they break off the gold and they put it in this thing and the Bible says that, that he, he takes the gold and he burns it and he, he fashions it with a tool and he makes, a, he makes an idol, a Ow. And then Moses come down, comes down at maybe the height of his anger. And he says, Aaron, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I just put the gold in the fire and out popped this cow. What? <laughs> no. You have fear of man. No, you're an idolater. That's the truth. I mean, we all do this. I do it. Like, okay, listen, here's the deal. I, I left for work today, this morning, a little late, but not, not late enough to get to work on time. And so I, it takes me 18 minutes to get to work, like clockwork. I left with 21 minutes to get there. And I'm driving down Rockwell, and, and, and then I get to this light that I'm confident at the worst times becomes demon-possessed. I have sat through this three cycles of this light and I have not gotten a green light. Well, how long would you have sat there? I don't know. I went through the red light. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I, three cycles before it turned green. And there I am sitting at this light and I'm just like, you're listening to Christian music, trying to have the right attitude, trying to have the right spirit. And I didn't, I wasn't, I failed completely. But finally it turned green and I, and I go. And so I, I get down Rockwell and I, and I go, go to turn on to 40. And right now I'm getting on the on-ramp to 40. I see that it is at a crawl. And it's never at a crawl. And I, 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 typically it's not at a crawl. And I get there and I'm, I'm blaming this truck in front of me. And I'm, I'm blaming this guy over here. And he's not getting out of my way. And, I, and, I, and finally I'm, I'm, I get through there and I, I get onto 44. And that goes smooth, praise the Lord. And I get off on the Southwest 44th. And then this tanker truck pulls out right in front of me and just stops crossways. And he's just sitting there and he won't move. And I'm like, I, I'm going to be late to staff meeting. Get out of the way. You know, that's my heart. I'm going to get out of the way. <laughs> Cranking glory bound up a little louder. Maybe it'll get me this way. It didn't help. Man, I, I go there and there, there's, like, there's like four, like four uh, student sex zones where you have to go down to like five miles an hour. You know what I mean? And it just felt like it, there was four or five or ten of them. It was just ongoing. And the whole time I'm going, I was like, man, I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, can't, I can't believe I'm going to be late. It's, well, it's really not my fault. It's the tanker's fault, and it's the traffic's fault, and it's this fault. And then God reminded me that it's my fault because he reminded me what I was preaching today. <laughs> and it's like he said to Andrew, no, you're a slacker. That's what you are. You are a slacker. You didn't plan ahead, and, and you didn't get ready. You should have left earlier. You should have got up earlier. That's what it is. <laughs> Excuses. It's trying to put on a cloak. Oh, it's not, it's, not, it's not really me. It's that guy and it's that guy and it's this person. And it's this thing and that situation. God says, no, you're a slacker. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not the only one that makes excuses. You know who makes heart excuses? Heartland students make excuses. <laughs> if you're a teacher in here, I don't care, Heartland or not, uh, you've heard excuses. Yeah. I, 
This, this whole Teams thing that we're doing, that we're uploading our homework on, it's just the new excuse for now. You know? Oh, I didn't get my homework in because Teams. It's Teams. It's the Teams that Brother Copes has given us. No, I was going to upload, I was going to upload, uh, uh, but you know, the sketchy Wi-Fi. It's the sketchy Wi-Fi that Brother Copes has given us. Just one time, once, one time, one time I'd love somebody, for somebody to come to me, a Heartland student, say, listen, Brother Andrew, here's the reason. I didn't get my homework in because two days ago I was going to do my homework and I had two hours to do my homework and I saw this pretty girl and I went and talked to her for two hours and it was wonderful. We left full, we left happy. She went to her dorm, I went to my dorm. It was great. And I, and I sat there and I thought about it for like an hour after that. And then curfew came and then, you know, I just didn't get to do the homework. And then and the next day when I could have had more time to do the homework, one of the guys said, hey, you want to go play basketball? And I was like, sure, let's go play basketball. So we went and played basketball and on my way back, wouldn't you know it, it's curfew time. And then I thought, you know what, I still got to do my homework for the class in the morning, so I probably better get up early. And Brother Andrew, I skipped my Bible reading and prayer time for you in your class. And so there I am, and I, 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 I did my homework there in the morning, or most of it. I didn't get all of it done, but I finished it in the, in, at the last half of my 7.30 class. You know what I'm saying? And wouldn't you know it, I'm coming to your class, and I'm trying to upload it onto Teams, and it didn't work. <laughs> I would love for that to happen just one time. But no, it's the Wi-Fi that thou has given me. <laughs> it's always somebody else's fault. I don't blame you. I just said I make excuses. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying I make them too. But what it is, it's just a cloak to cover up who we really are. Um, the people say the time has not come, the time to read my Bible. I'm busy training for ministry, the Heartland student would say. Um, well, is it time for you, O ye, to play basketball? I don't have time to soul win, all right? I got work. Well, is it time for you, oh ye, to take naps? I, I can't pay my bill. I have no money. Is it time for you, oh ye, to drink Starbucks? I like Starbucks, I'm just saying. Um, God's word and their actions reveal something. There's something else going on. Because if you got the time to play basketball, you got the time to do homework. This is college night, right? So you don't mind if I talk to him just for a minute. You got time to, you got time to play basketball, you got time to do homework. But if, if we're honest, what Haggai's question did was it revealed the truth about who they were. And it said this, no, actually, you're lethargic. You're really just kind of indifferent. You're really not that concerned with God's work. So, Heartland students make excuses and college and career age of all ages make excuses. I don't want to go to Sunday school. Crossbearers class, it's just, it's not fun. It's not fun. It's the people in there, they're not fun. Okay, do you do homework in your college? Is that fun? <laughs> well, that went well, didn't it? <laughs> um, so fun isn't the excuse. Whether it's fun or not, or whether you get along with the people or not, is not an excuse. Because you go sit in a college classroom with people you don't even like. Well, Brother Andrew, the job pays me money. Brother Andrew, I'm getting some out of that education. <laughs> Say what? Um, I don't really have time to grow in the Lord right now. Uh, you know, this whole secular education, it's really consuming me. You, you have time to learn about a secular education, but you don't have time to go to God's education. I, tithing, it's just not my deal. You know, I'll, I'll tithe when, I, when I'm a little more financially stable and I, I just don't have the money right now. Is it time for you to drive your new car? And the question just, just reveals that there's a deeper issue. And the question just reveals that you're apathetic. 
you really just don't really care or are concerned with God or his work. Now, I hate saying it like that, but that, Haggai didn't, he didn't pull any punches. Yeah. And I, I want to be kind and I want to be nice, but I want to be honest about what he said. You know, pastor just said some visitation on Saturday and he was so kind about it. And I want to be too. Yeah. You know, I don't really feel like I can go out on Saturday visitation. I got uh, some, I'm just busy, got some things to do. Is it time for you, oh ye, to take your children to the game? I mean, I, I, I don't really know if I can witness to my neighbors. I, you know, they just won't get it. They, they won't accept it. Um, is it time for you to talk to them about football and politics, but not Jesus? I don't really know if I can increase my missions giving this year or even give what I gave last year because you know the economy right now is just a little unstable. We got a, a new guy in and maybe we can just wait until the next term. And, and I, I really, I just don't know if I'll be able to handle uh, this uh, a little uptick there in the missions giving. I'm not sure if it's really what we ought to do. So, you know, uh, probably ought to decrease just a little bit. Just to have a little nest egg, you know what I mean. Is it time for you, oh ye, to build another house, to buy another car, to get another boat? I really don't know if I can pray. I know pastors into praying for laborers. I know the Bible says it, but I really don't just, I just don't get anything out of it. Do we get anything out of the movies that we watch? But we spend the time doing that. And really, friends, what it does is it reveals something about us. Misplaced priorities. Things are out of whack. They're not where they're supposed to be. And really, what it reveals is that we're not spending time on God's agenda. We're spending time on our own agenda. We're not spending money on, 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 our, on God's agenda. We're spending money on our agenda. And this is what the question revealed about Israel. It says, no, Israel, listen, I know that you have all these excuses. And I know that you say it's the politics. And I know that you say it's the danger around. And I know what you say it's this. And I know you say it's that. But, but really what it is is you're lethargic, Israel. And you're apathetic. And you're selfish. And you have misplaced priorities. And then Prophet Haggai come in, came in and just with one single question just ripped the cloak off and said, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Had to, had to take it. Now, every one of us have that. Every single one of us in here have a cloak that we just put on that says, no, I can't give more to missions. I do it. I try it. I try to say it too. I can't do this. I can't do that. And it's a cloak. And, and, and I'm just saying that the word of God it has something about it that when it just, it, it confronts us and it just cuts to the quick and it takes it away and says, no, no, Andrew, you do have the money. It's just that you don't want to redirect it. You want it on your own agenda. Can I, I just want to ask, are you making excuses? Are you where you're supposed to be, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do? Uh, Heartland student comes in, the Heartland student comes into the academic dean's office and, and he says to the student, listen, Heartland student, you are failing every single class. You're not doing your homework. You're not passing your tests. And the Heartland student says, well, yeah. But I'm here. I'm where I'm supposed to be. So therefore, I'm right. <laughs> uh, no. We all know how that's illogical. But yet we do it. Well, I'm here on a Wednesday, right? I'm here. I must be doing right. Well, um, you're with your family, sir. You're with them. Um, are you doing what you're supposed to do? 
You're where you're supposed to be with your family, but are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you, are you, are you teaching your children? Are you loving your children? Are you leading them in the devotions? Are you praying with them? Uh, you're, you're with your, your spouse. Are, 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 uh, ma'am, are, 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 you, are you respecting him? Are, are you helping him? Are you thanking him? Are, are you praising him for the good that he does? Are you thanking him for the hard work that he, he does? You're with your spouse, sir. Are, are you loving her like you're supposed to? Are you thanking her for what she's done for you and how she's taking care of the kids? You're where you're supposed to be, but are you leading her and you loving her like you're supposed to? You're a member of Southwest Baptist Church. i got to ask you this. You're a member of Southwest Baptist Church, but you, are you actively involved in the work? And if we say, well, I'm here, it's just a cloak. It's a, a cloak of excuses. And the Word of God has a way of just coming in. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing, you know, and then he goes on to say he's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, God's word and God get, get straight to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter in God's people today, it's not the excuses. It's not that we don't have the money. It's not that we don't have the time. It's that we have misplaced priorities, that we're lethargic and apathetic for God and his work. That's my problem and that's your problem. It's our problem. We have a problem. And ultimately what it is, is that we are on our own agenda and Haggai told them, consider your ways. I know we don't always want to consider. We don't always want to think about it. But I think it's going to be good for us. Hey, we're coming into the missions conference. We ought to consider, right? We ought to consider our ways. So he says, consider just means to set your heart upon your ways. Think about your ways. Put your heart on your ways. Think about it. Now that we've pulled back the veil, now that we expose the truth for what it is, now let's think about it. And here's what you need to think about. You have sown much and you bring in little. Okay, let me just read it. You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe, but there, there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. He's saying, wait a minute, you go out and you start sowing all day long and you, you hitch up the, the plow to the oxen and you set that plow in the ground and you take that whip and you crack that whip and, and, and you, you turn up that soil and your arms are sore and your hands are blistered and your legs are hurting and, and you turn up that soil and you pop that seed in there and you start sowing more and you start sowing more and you come for the harvest and you expect it to be this much and it comes to be this much. You maximize your effort and you minimize your gain and, and you, you want to go and you want to drink and you, and you drink and you, and you expect to be filled and satisfied but it just, it, just the way it is, you're not satisfied. And you eat and you're not full. And you earn money and you put it into a bag with holes. Think about that. All the work and labor and effort and toil and, 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 the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the cattle that they sell and the crops that they sell and they go to the market and they sell it all and they come back and they put it into a bag and it's like this man's dragging it home to his wife and he says, sweetheart, look at the big haul I got today and he opens it up and it's like a quarter of what was there. He was expecting this much and he got this much. Maximized his effort, minimized his gain. Mm -hmm. Consider. Consider why we do what we do, why I do what I do, why I spend my money where I spend my money, why I spend my time where I spend my time, because I think it's going to bring me this much joy. But when I'm spent on my own agenda, do you know what it does? It brings me this much joy. And when, I, and when I want this much satisfaction, I spend my money and my time so I can have this much satisfaction. But when I'm spending it on my own agenda, do you know what I get? This much satisfaction. And he says, consider, consider the frustrating process that you must go to to work so hard to be satisfied and complete and whole, and yet you have nothing. Israel, consider, set your heart upon your ways, think about it. And so, your agenda, Israel, is that you are focused on your agenda. You, you, you're focused on your stuff and your money and your time and you're spending your time where you want and on your houses and on your gain and on your crops and on your money. Well, what's God's agenda? I mean, if they're on the wrong agenda, there must be a right agenda. Well, he says this again, consider your ways. Here's his agenda. Go up to the mountain bring back wood, 
build my house. That's it. No, it's not hard. It's, it's really not. It's actually pretty easy. Here's what you do, Israel. You need, to, you need to send men up to the mountain and they need to do work and they need to cut down trees and they need to bring down those trees and they need to drag them down to the temple. And they need to fabricate it and they need to put the house together. Build my house. That's right. it's it. It's simple. It's great. It's wonderful. And I can, I can say this. God's agenda has not changed. Now, now, I know and you know, and you're, you're a biblically literate people, and I understand that, but uh, the, the Israel and the church are not the same. And I don't need to go into all of that, uh, but, but you understand and I understand that Israel and the church are not the same. But God still has the same agenda, and it's this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Go and build my house. Amen. That's our agenda. That's what our agenda ought to be. Our agenda ought to be God's agenda. And God's agenda is that every person in every city and in every state all over the United States and no, all around the world would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're having a missions conference because that is God's agenda. That's what God has for the Southwest Baptist Church. That's what God has for every single church in America and every church around the world is that God's people would preach the gospel so that others can be saved. Because there's people in Zambia and Guam and Nepal and all over the world that need to hear the gospel that they don't know. There's people in Iowa that do not know. They don't know. My dad works in Sioux City, Iowa. It's where I was born and raised and I grew up there. He, he, he lives there and he works in a, in a place called Decorah, Iowa. He drives from Sioux City to Decorah. One day a week, he'll, he'll drive there, he'll spend the night, and he'll come back. And he, about six months ago, he called me. And he said this, Andrew, God opened up the door, and I'm able to witness to my coworkers. And I, I'm telling you, Andrew, I'm telling them about the gospel. And I, I'm, telling them, I'm looking them in the face, and I can see the conviction on their face. And they've said, I've never heard this before. He said, Andrew, do you know of a church there? And I looked. And there's not a church that I'm aware of within an hour and a half of a town of 7,700 people in the United States of America in Iowa. And he was burning. He was tore up about it. He was emotional about it. He said, son, there's got to be a church planted there. And he said, son, would you pray that there would be a church planted? For six months, my dad and I have been praying that God would start a church in Decorah, Iowa. Decorah, Iowa. And, and so here we are yesterday, and, and, and we're in the chapel service at, at Heartland, and there's Brother A.J. Potter, and he's up there giving his burden for America, burden for Iowa, and he starts naming all these cities that don't have a, a church home. They, 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 got, they got nothing. There, there's no gospel witness. There's no church. There's, there's nothing. There's, there's a biblically illiterate people that they've never heard. And in one of those places that he gave was Decorah, Iowa, 7,700 people. After work... On my way home, I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I just want to tell you this. I think it would be a blessing to you. There's, there's people who, who have Decorah, Iowa on the map. And they're aware of it. And they know there's no gospel witness. And they know there's no church. And he, he's just like, he's like, praise God, Andrew. This is so amazing. I'm so thankful. Wouldn't encourage me. He goes, hey, you tell them. You tell them. So I'm telling you. And I'm, I'm telling you, brother. But I'm telling you both right now. He said, if, if they're going to start a church there, you let me know. I'll do whatever I can to help. I'll take them through the town. I'll show them around. I'll give money. And I think he meant my inheritance. <laughs> Suddenly I feel a call to Decorah, Iowa. <laughs> He said, I'll give if I can. I'll, I'll do what I can. Wait a minute. My, my boss, he probably has a building in Decorah. He owns the building. He says, hey, Andrew, I'm going to call him. I'm going to see if they have a building to meet. And he said, well, that's a little presumptuous. Well, he's been praying. What do we expect? God just be like, nah, I don't really care about those 7,700. <laughs> no. He cares. You can say, well, it was your dad. You, I bet he's a great preacher. I mean, I bet he's in the ministry, full-time ministry, have a burden for people. I bet he started churches. My dad works at a pork plant. He's no preacher. I mean, he preached to me a lot, but he's no preacher. He just has a burden for people. 
He, he just looked in the face of somebody who was lost and he understood that this person has never heard. They, they were looking at him like he was foreign in Iowa. Foreign. Now, I'm just saying to you today, there are people all over the United States of America and there are people all over the, over the world that don't know who Jesus Christ is and God's agenda has not changed. It has not changed one bit. That our agenda ought not to be our more houses, more stuff, more food, more boats, more stuff, more money, more time spent on me, more joy, more satisfaction, friends. It ought to be more about giving and more about going. Rachel Caesar, she gave me a letter, a little letter, and she wrote in it some kind things, and she said this to me. She said, Brother Andrew, what's the hardest thing about working at Heartland? You know, I kind of took me back. I was like, man, the hardest thing about working at Heartland. What's the hardest thing about working at Heartland? <laughs> and I had to think about it. But then it became so clear. You know what the hardest thing about working at Heartland is? Is watching God called, God, God called men and women depart from God's agenda to go to their own agenda. I just don't really feel called anymore. It's not really what I feel like God has for me. And if it was honest, you know what we'd say? Now I know the cost. And I'm not willing to pay the cost. It's the hardest thing of working at Heartland. It's the hardest thing I think about being human and being in ministry or being a Christian is to watch people who know the truth step away from what God has called them to do. Well, you don't understand. You don't know where America's going. And you don't understand the persecution that's ahead. I may not, but I can read Acts and find out that it was there. Yes. And, I, and I can tell you this much. Whatever happens to America doesn't change who I am in Christ. It, it, wait, you've got to be so mad about politics. I don't really, I'm not mad at all. I'm not mad at all. Are you un-American? No, I'm just saying that it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat. I'm still a Christian. It doesn't matter Republican or Democrat. Our agenda has not changed. Go ye therefore. It's the same. No matter who's in office, no matter the political climate, it doesn't matter. Well, what happens if I don't want to? What happens, Brother Andrew? You tell me. What happens if I don't want to go? You tell me. What happens if I want to spend my life on my time and my agenda? I'll tell you what will happen. Look at verse number 9. Ye look for much. I don't want ministry anymore. They make too little. Ye look for much. And lo, it came to little. And when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. God took the credit. You can go spend your life, your time, your money, wherever you want, and you can look for this much satisfaction. And God will just say this. Now, I'm going to go to a secular university. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to make money. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. He doesn't even have to move. He just has to exhale. No. No. No, I'm going to get what I want. Well, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to get all this money, and I'm going to get all this stuff, and I'm going to have it, and that's what I want to do with my life. to joy, to satisfaction, to comfort. Maybe God's just been saying this to our agenda. Maybe we've just been a little too focused on ourselves. I'm talking about me. I've had to deal with this in my own heart this week. 
Maybe, maybe I'm in ministry and, and, and maybe I'm a little bit apathetic. Maybe I'm a little bit lethargic. And maybe my prior is a little bit out of whack. And maybe I wonder, why am I not as happy as what I ought to be? Maybe I'm on the wrong agenda. And maybe I'm not on God's agenda. God said, I did blow upon it. And he says, why? And he says, because, he says this reason. He says, because every, because my house lies waste and every man runs to his own house. My house is waste. There's nothing there. There's, there's just a foundation. There's no walls. There's no roof. There's no nothing. There's no time spent on it. There's no money given to it. To it. It's all light waste. And you're going to go spend your money on your, your, your wonderful, nice uh, Wayne Scott houses. And you're going you're gonna to get one and two and three. And my house lies waste. God says, no, 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 no. All I got to do is say, I did blow upon it, he said. God said, I'm the one that took the dew away from the mountains. I'm the one that took the cattle. I'm the one. 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 Why? Because they're on the wrong agenda. And I just want to tell you this, church, because I do love you. If your agenda consumes you, God is going to consume your agenda. If your agenda, the money and the time and the, the stuff consumes us, God will consume it. So, man, that's harsh. It is harsh. It's a reality that I've had to face. That maybe I'm not doing what I ought to do for the gospel's sake. And maybe I'm too, too much caught up in the world. And maybe I'm, I'm too focused on what I can make. How I can just do this wisely. And if I squeeze every last bit of time and energy, and I can invest this and I can get that going. And oh, life will be good. And I, if your agenda consumes you, God will consume your agenda. It's hard, isn't it? It's a harsh truth. You know what the wonderful thing is about the next section in Haggai? I love it. The Bible says this, and Israel obeyed. <laughs> Israel obeyed. Yeah, that's what happened. You mean like the Israel that was like for several hundred years was like, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God, no God. Kill that prophet, kill that prophet, kill this guy, kill that guy. No God, no, 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 no. Yes, God. <laughs> yes, God. What did God. How did God respond to that? You know what he said? Here, here it is. Here's the message of, of, the, of the next four verses. He says this. I am with you. And he walks away. <laughs> God said, I am with you. Amen. You can go read it later. You can read it. I'm with you. And you know what happened? The Bible says that the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua were stirred up. And they got on God's agenda. And, and you can read you can study the book yourself. It's a bit of a revival that went on. Because people got on, on God's agenda. And I, I, just, I just wonder if we, as a church, aren't doing what we could because we're making excuses, invalid excuses that aren't real. And really what we're doing is we're just putting on a cloak that says, no, it's just an excuse. And the word of God confronts. It's quick. It's powerful. And all things are naked and open unto God. And we might try and hide it. Man, he's got a way of just laying it open. And I'm just saying, that maybe, maybe you need to take action like the Lord said to do action in my heart today, that we need to get prepared to do God's work. So thankful for the missions conference. Because it helps us get our priorities in the right spot. And realize what's, what's important. 
and just and get things where they're supposed to be so that we're not lethargic and we're not apathetic and we, we get on God's agenda. I say we need to do that today and this week. And we need to pray like God tells us to pray and like our pastor wants us to pray. And we need to give regardless of the economy. And we need to give regardless as to who's in office. And we need to go across the street and around the world with the gospel. Would you all stand? We're going to have a word of prayer. And I just want to encourage you, if the Lord's dealt with your heart, you can, you can come at any time. And I'm going to have a word of prayer. And the altars are open. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I should you ask that you would help us as a church to love you as you call us to love you and to serve you as you tell us to serve you and to spend our life and to spend our time, the short time that we have on this, on this earth, serving you, God. I, I ask that you would stir us up and you would shake us up, Father, for the sake of the gospel and that we, as your people, would get in place and get on your agenda. God, I'm asking for your help. So thankful for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And thank you for confronting me and confronting us. Love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.